It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you had a great week, and hope you enjoyed the fights. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons for an authentic Italian meal. And speaking of St. Simons, our next uh, Billy C. boxing event, will we have the dates. It will be taking place uh, the week of the Mexican holiday. Uh, in uh, September, uh, it's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, we uh, have some pricing that we will release tomorrow. Now, uh, just keep one thing in mind. We are going to have a golf tournament. We're going to have a fishing tournament. We're going to have a meet and greet. We're going to have dinner at Sal's. We're going to have uh, a lot of fun. We're going to have a fight night. Okay, all these things going on. Uh, and we are going to offer a package that will include everything, and you get your own room accommodations because there's several choices uh, on the uh, uh, on the island of St. Simons. Plus, you know, don't forget, uh, it's part of the Golden Isle. So you got uh, Sea Island and Jekyll Island right over the bridge. Uh, plus, you got Brunswick, so there's a lot of options for you. Uh, we will give you the exact numbers tomorrow. So if you want to get put on that list, because remember, you're going to have to have an invitation slash ticket to get in, just drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by BlueSkyVacations.net. Hey, it's a new site. Uh, you've heard of all the other ones, but you're looking to go on a vacation? Check out www.BlueSkyVacations.net and uh, then tell me. That you can't get the best deal. www.blueskyvacations.net. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Uh, just uh, visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. You want a signed copy? Don't worry about it. Just go to our website, billycboxing.com. And click on the book. You want more than one copy? Then just drop me an email and I'll hook you right up. What a good deal. Billy at Talkin' Boxing. T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. 
this past weekend. We had a couple of good fights on that we got to watch. Um, a couple of, uh, I just don't know what they're thinking kind of comments. I got some emails to read. We got a uh, preliminary announcement for uh, Sergey Kovalev's next fight. Uh, but first, I want to kick off the show with this. If you watched the fights on ESPN Saturday night, the main event, uh, Jose uh, Ramirez uh, beat uh, Amir Aman uh, in, a, in, in a very exciting fight. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But during the, the, uh, the broadcast of that uh, um, fight and all the other stuff that was going on on ESPN, uh, they showed a a uh, interview that was done by this new guy who is just terrible. But uh, anyway, is he trying to be Larry Merchant or what? I mean, you know, the one thing that makes a commentator good is when it's them being themselves. If they're being themselves, you can distinguish. You know, I mean, listen, I don't want to give overrated kudos. And I was never a huge fan of Teddy Atlas. But one thing you got to respect about Teddy Atlas Teddy Atlas is Teddy Atlas. Teddy Atlas doesn't try to be anybody else. He doesn't change his way. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, what he's watching, where he is. Teddy is Teddy is Teddy. And you got to respect people that are real, that are genuine. This guy, Mark, does not seem uh, genuine. He, he's trying to copy uh, that Larry Merchant. We were just talking about it, that that presentation uh, of his uh, uh, of his discussion and comments and stuff are being presented uh, similar to the way Larry Merchant did. But forget that. What I want to talk about is the uh, interview that was conducted between Don King and uh, and Bob Arum. And let me tell you, I enjoyed that interview. That normally I fast forward because I like to pre I like to record. Uh, these events, then watch them so I don't have to listen to the rhetoric uh, in between fights or, or watch all the commercials, etc. But let me tell you something. I thoroughly enjoyed watching Don King and Bob Arum in the same room talking about the history together. They're both 86 years old. Both have been in the business only almost a half a decade. And it's amazing to see. And what I gathered by all of that, plus all the interesting stuff that went on during that uh uh, interviews, some uh, behind-the-scenes stories, etc., which were great. Um, I, I came to the conclusion that Bob Arum and Don King were perfect dance partners as uh, you know competing promoters, and the end result was what we got treated to during the heyday of both their careers. It's the exact same thought process that we discuss on a regular basis on this show about how important it is for fighters to have the proper dance partners. We mentioned Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali and Ali and Kenny Norton and Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. The list goes on and on and on. But what makes these guys so great is the fact that they had a dance partner and not only a dance partner that was willing to, to get in the ring with them uh, or uh, deal with things outside the ring like King and Aram did, but which were so, so much of a rival that it brought out the best and as outrageous as things could get, you would always kick it up a notch because of that comp competition factor. And Don King and Bob Arum were certainly great dance partners, not only for themselves and for the success of their own careers, but for boxing. Joining me right now. Uh, from St. Simons is my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, 
I don't know if you caught that. I know you. I know you were watching the, the fight trips or drafts. I don't know if you caught that interview. But the bottom line is that these two guys were willing dance partners, and they were at each other's throats. Nobody hated each other at the times than Don King and Bob Arum. But you know what? Uh, because of that competitiveness uh, of both, because of the competitive nature of both of these guys, and because of the competitive uh, nature of the business they were in. They needed each other, and they both admitted how much they needed each other and that they would have not have been as successful as they both were without each other. What's your thoughts on those two guys being uh, such great dance partners and the ultimate um, you know, uh, uh, success was the sport of boxing during their times? Well, I think you hit it right on the head, Bill. You know, these guys were great dance partners, just like we look for in styles make fights. And, and uh, when we see two fighters that, that make good dance partners, it, it gives a great performance. And the same thing with these two great promoters. And, you know, they started, they were grassroots, they were they were legends, and uh, they tried to one-up each other. And how did they do that was with the uh, concurrent promotions that they continued to do. They made it exciting. They made it uh, in your your, your your kind of face kind of thing, and they got into people's emotions to come and see the greatest fight of all time. And each fight we were we were given from these guys, we, we felt like we were going to miss out if we didn't see it. So these guys were great, and they are the foundation of what boxing happened. And then, you know, Lou Dubik came on board in top rank, and he, he was another one. But uh, for the legend and, uh, and everything as it was, Don King and Bob Arum, were the two forefathers that carved through the woods and laid out the foundation. You know, they uh, because they they dislike for each other. Yeah. They never didn't respect each other, and it was kind of it was kind of cool to see Bob Arum giving uh, Don King accolades. He says, "You know, I was I, I, I was a Harvard grad. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a Jewish guy. I'm controlled. I'm this. I'm that." And he says, "And then there's Don King. You know, this animated." Uh, guy that was bigger than life and uh, they, they showed a lot of clips for the uh, Oscar De La Hoya um, Tito Trinidad fight in which no one gave uh, Trinidad a chance and he wins and, and Don King was Bob Arum was uh, uh, admitting how aggravating Don King was and Don King was like the only guy cheering everybody else was somber because you know Oscar De La Hoya wasn't supposed to lose the fight and uh, Don King was just getting under Bob Arum's skin, and he admitted in the interview that if he had a gun, he would have shot Don King. I mean, this is what he says in the interview. And uh, Don believe. King is laughing. i got to go back and And, and I'll I tell you an interesting thing. He said one of the big successes that Don had over him, over Bob Arum, was the fact that Don King knew how to relate uh, to the fighters, and, and basically his secret weapon was cash. And he would always, and and you know what? These I heard so many multiple stories about fighters taking deals. Uh, Larry Holmes did it. Muhammad Ali did it about taking deals when Don King just had a suitcase full of cash, and they accepted that uh, for for less money than they could have held out for. And then remember, we were talking the other day about this is how fighters say, "Oh, I got robbed." Well, you know, you walk out with that cash, and Bob Arum says, "You know, it, 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 Don had it." Don, he was, Don King was he telling war, the story. He war chest. Well, he was telling stories how he would tell a fighter, go ahead, reach into that drawer. As much money as you can pull out, you get to keep. You know, and he was telling the stories. And Bob Arum, you know, he was saying, I just didn't do it that way. And Don was so successful. And Don turned around and says, hey, 
It was anybody would do that. It's human nature. You see cash. Forget about a check. You see cash, and you react a lot different. And he was 100% right. And that experience he gained uh, from the streets, Sal. Well, of course. And, and you know, you had two different educations, yeah, as you suggested. I mean, Bob Arum, it was known that he was a Harvard Law grad. I mean, I knew that. And and this guy was a, a brainiac in, in his field, and he wanted to get into promoting and boxing, and, and he did. But you had Don King, uh, a man uh, from the streets that could connect, as you suggested, with the fighters, that knew the emotions, that, that, that uh, played the game. And uh, he was able to win over, of course, with that chest war chest full of cash, too. That was a big influence. But each brought their unique facets to the game and uh, through, through their, their wanting and their desire and their hearts to promote the biggest fights, the best fights that they possibly could. And that's why, that's why their rivalry was unmatched and that their, their foundation, what they provided, and the stellar fights that they put together, uh, I mean, it was unique. And it's going to be carved out in the history books in the era of boxing, how special those two gentlemen really were. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there's no question about that. They're both in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and it just, we were lucky as boxing fans yeah. to, to be able to uh, benefit from the competitive nature of both of those guys as men. You know, Don King, the man, and Bob Arum as the man. Um, but, you know, I, I really have to question if they didn't exist at the same time the way they did, would they have been as successful? And, and the answer I come up with is no, I don't think they would have been. I think that they needed each other just like peanut butter needs jelly, man. And, <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is that, the, like I keep saying, the competitiveness of these two guys wanted them to outdo each other, whether it be a promotion, whether it be assigning a fighter, whether it be acting like the fight that they are promoting is the best ever. Don King made you feel uh, like if you didn't buy a ticket to his fight, that you were going to miss out on a life-changing event. And he was able, yes, even, he e even if he laid an egg, with an event and it didn't come out the next one he would make you feel and and you would bite it you you it, you'd be like a, a a fish that just couldn't resist the worm you know i, I mean it was uh, it was amazing at what uh, uh what he was able to do and uh you know and bob arum uh, was had the willingness as much as he despised don king in their younger days had the willingness to put that hatred aside and work together. And both of them did, Sal. And and that was something that we missed, um, you know, more recently over the last 20 years, these, these promoters that weren't willing to work with each other. And the end result is not only do they shoot themselves in the foot, but they hurt the sport in, in general, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's what you just, you know, you just really uh, compounded the fact that, yes, these guys would be successful because they're smart gentlemen, they know how to, to do it. They would have been successful in any era without each other, but no, they would not have the the unmatched success that they both reached and, and uh, attained through being that rival and through being that as competitive. And you're so funny. I mean, Don King, man, he promoted so many uh, fights of the century and fights of a lifetime. Man, I feel like I'm a thousand years old. I go in boxing years, <laughs> you know. 
You know, I, I tell you, people are always uh, saying negative stuff about Don King, but I, I, I have, you know, I, I know Don, and and you know, we're we're both very uh, good friends with Carl. Um, but I, I always like to tell a Don King story that I have that affected me. Um, one time, uh, Don King was promoting probably the last big event that he promoted. Uh, was the Tito Trinidad versus Roy Jones Jr. fight that took place at Madison Square Garden. And um, I, uh, I was helping promoting, uh, promoting that event. And, you know, we, we were promoting the, the show, et cetera, et cetera, and we, we had Don come on. And um, Don King was one of the best interviews I ever had. And, and we, we told him, you know, we had it all set up. We said, listen, Don, you're, you're only going to be uh, on for 10, 15 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turned out to be about 48 minutes that we had Don on. And it was a, a, a great interview. As a matter of fact, uh, I had it up on the website for a while. And there's bits and pieces that we do play uh, uh, occasionally. Uh, but, but here's the point of the story. During the interview, at the end, you know, he kept saying, oh, I want you to come. And this was on the interview, all right? He kept saying, I want you to come to the fight. You'll be my guest, blah, 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 blah. And I took it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Don King, he's, he's you know, he's, he's putting on a great interview. It was a great uh, piece, et cetera. So, um, so after the show, uh, you know, I, I, I had already applied for And I said to him, I said on the show, I said, well, I'm already coming. I, you know, I have uh, credentials. Uh, I'm going to be... Uh, uh, attending the fight so when we went and to go pick up the uh, credentials it was a cold uh, day and in, in, in February at Madison Square Garden and I waited online like everybody else and uh, as a matter of fact that's the first time I met uh, Carl King that's a whole nother story but anyway um, so I, I get my credential and I go in and I, I'm looking at it and that you know the 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 place where they put in uh, a lot of the writers and people covering it were in, in at Madison Square Garden it was section 300 which was way up in the top you know and I'm scoping out the scene and I'm saying to myself well you know this isn't that great and I went back into the uh, uh, I went back into the press room and uh, I asked one of the guys I said uh, is this right and he said let me see your credential and uh, he looks at my name and there's a there's a highlight next to it he says oh no 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 he says, you're not sitting there. He says, you're, you're one of the highlights. You, here, here's yours. You, you should have come to me first, uh, Ed oh, wow. uh, says. And he hands me this thing. Well, I end up sitting the third row in the press, and two guys down from me was Don King. I mean, he sat me right next to him, and uh, it was great. I had uh, a great seats. Uh, which, you know, I covered the fight, etc. But uh, Don King was certainly a man of his word. I didn't get a chance to hang with him that night, uh, but uh, he certainly uh, uh, was a man of his word for me, Sal. You know, he put me right where he said. And as I, t I have another story from that event <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Bert Sugar. Bert Sugar, Bert we're, Sugar. In, the, we're in the press room. And, and Bert Sugar's in there, and he was trying to call his wife, and he couldn't get an outside line. And uh, I said, hey, Bert, you want to... Before cell phones, I, Bill. No, I had cell. He, he didn't have a cell. And and I had met Bert Sugar several times before up at the Hall of Fame and at different ven uh, different uh, events. And uh, I said, hey, Bert, you want to use my phone? And he's like, yeah. And as a, in return, he he recorded a segment that we still use, I think. I, I think I still have it. But uh, anyway, it was a great night, man. But Don King, he lived up to... He, 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 he basically... Did for me what he said he was going to do, and I was shocked to be honest with you, Sal. 
Well, you know, I, I'm glad you said that because, you know, Don, uh, from my very first meeting with Don, and I think I shared it just the other day, you know, I grew up in a nice little upper middle class town called Rivervale, New Jersey in Bergen County. And uh, who was one of my neighbors and, and fellow townspeople uh, were the Goodmans. And you had uh, Murray Goodman, who was uh, had a stellar career, was Don King's right-hand man, and Murray Goodman's son, Bobby Goodman. So here were guys that gave me a whole segue, and they knew I was fighting. I just won the Golden Gloves, and my aspirations already were, hey, I want to be a world champion. So they were doing some kind of fundraiser, and they invited Don King, Lou Duva, and this before Duva was even a promoter, just a, just a trainer. And uh, I think this was the late 70s or whatever. And um, I I had the opportunity to meet Don King in my own hometown. He came to visit us. Um, and we played golf at the Riverville Country Club that day. And Don took a liking to me. And, and he was already taking photos and promoting me and saying, here's a future world champ and all this. And he said, Sal, who's your favorite fighter? Who? I said, God, who I emulate my style after, who I love. Was uh, is Roberto Duran, and Sal, he goes, "Wow, Sal, that's great Sal, to hear." Sal, hold, hold yeah. that thought. Yeah. I'm gonna pick yeah. you. I'm gonna pick. We're gonna pick right yeah. up where you left off. I gotta take a short break right here. They're uh, really coming down on me. Of that we're gonna pick it up right where uh, Sal had said, uh, uh, "Who's your favorite fighter?" To Don King. Don't go anywhere. We will be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. There's a brand new online travel site that you need to visit before planning your next vacation. www.blueskyvacations.net you'll find great rates for any type of travel or vacation you have in mind. Sign up for their email list for exclusive offers and discounts. They have extremely competitive prices and well-informed travel advice. Experience tranquility under a blue sky with www.blueskyvacations.net. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at billycboxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, just before we went to break, Sal was uh, right in the middle of telling us a story when uh, he met Don King playing golf. And Don says to him, hey, little Sal, who's your favorite fighter? And Sal said, Roberto the Hands of Stone Duran. Roberto Duran was my favorite fighter, and to this day, is probably one of my favorite fighters. But uh, I'll tell you why. So Don just had that gleaming smile. Literally, his smile went from ear to ear, and he said, well, I'm going to make your day, your dream come true. He, he said, uh, uh, I want you to come down to see me at the Philadelphia Spectrum next week. I'm holding a press conference between Roberto Duran, and I think it was Adolfo or Edwin Virouette. I'm not sure which one, one of the brothers he was fighting. And uh, you're going to meet your legend, and uh, then we'll have you guys spar and all this stuff. And, you know, I was so excited. I, I said, wow, my jaw just dropped. Here I was, 16, just winning the Golden Gloves, and, and you know, I, I'm going to meet my legend, you know, the, the, my favorite fighter in the whole world. And sure enough, 
I showed up that next week at the Philadelphia Spectrum, had full credentials, got right in. Uh, Don expected me, and, and, and as soon as I walked in, he brought me over to Burrow Duran, shook hands, and, and it was just a great afternoon. And like I said, Don King always kept his word to me and uh, just, just over-delivered anytime you were involved with Don King. He would always, always make you feel like you, and that's why he was a great promoter. He would always make you feel that you were center stage, no matter who you were. If he engaged with you, you were center stage. Hey, Chal, let me ask you a quick question. Uh, did you get to meet Ray Arcel as well? Oh, I, I met Ray Arcel from years ago in Gleason's Boxing Gym when I used to train down there. That's cool. He was, he's he's oh, another he was, one of those great – he's one of those great lit. trainers that a lot of young people never heard of, you know, and it's, uh, it's a shame, but uh, – uh, Don King, Bob Arum uh, on uh, ESPN's uh, broadcast on uh, Saturday night, I thought was the best part of the uh, event. However, we did get to see a couple of great fights, like, uh, for example, the new WBC 140-pound title holder, uh, Jose uh, Ramirez, improved to 22-0 and with 16 knockouts when he scored a 12-round unanimous decision over Ramirez, uh, who dropped the second fight in his career. He's now 21-2 and with 18 knockouts. Uh, it did go to distance, uh, the way the judges scored it. Uh, one had it 120 to 108, which is obviously every round for Ramirez. One judge saw it 117-111. One had it a little tighter, 115-113. Um, I'm okay with the 117-111 uh, score. Uh, yeah. I, I did think that Amir Aman landed some good hard shots, but the thing is, is that Ramirez came back, and if uh, we were talking about this on Friday, Sal, if if uh, Amir Aman landed two good shots, Ramirez came back with four. And that's why some of those close rounds, I had a lean towards uh, uh, Ramirez. Now, I also said some things uh, about why I picked Ramirez. Now, I'm, I'm, I was partial uh, to Amir Aman because he's from about an hour uh, south of where I, I, the studio is right now. And we had a connection with him. Not only, I say we, uh, but uh, Dax Khan had, had a connection uh, with him and speaking of Dax Khan, I, I wish uh, my man Dax a speedy recovery. Um, but uh, but but the one thing I said was I said the weakness that Amir Aman has is his corner, is his trainer, Stacy McKinley. And during this fight, that. Sal, Stacy McKinley that. says to him around the sixth round, it might have even been the seventh, he's in the corner and he says to, to Amir Aman, What are you doing? Don't show him that right power hand yet. You don't want to show him your power yet. And I'm saying Just to myself, first round. I say, I'm saying to myself, you don't want to show him your power hand. What are you waiting for, you idiot? And then by the by the tenth round, he's going. Oh, it's, uh, you're, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to give it all you got. You got to go. You know what kind of trainer has a fighter who's in a a, a fight like Ramirez and Amir Aman was, and he's trying to have him say, "Remember the story I said." You know, when it comes fight time, you want to experiment, you want to learn things, you want to practice stuff, what the hell do you think sparring is for? But when a bell rings and it's a real fight, you shouldn't be holding anything back. Of course no. you want to set up a fighter for a punch. You want to get the feeling for how he delivers his. Maybe you can feint and catch him off guard or counter him uh, because you see a lazy jab or something. I get it. But you don't want to save your arsenal. This, we're talking seven rounds here in a 12-round fight. Four and a half what, over. Yeah, what, what's your thoughts? Did you catch that? 
Uh, you know, that, that's one of the things I must have missed. But I will tell you this, Bill. That is the worst advice. I mean, you know, how many times does a fight get uh, established? I, I mean, sometimes in the first round when you land a big solid shot, you got the guy thinking right away, well, how, well what are we going to do here? How am I going to contend with this? He should have went out there the first round and tried to get that opening and deliver a hard right hand. And that would have changed the whole tempo of the fight, possibly. But I'll tell you what, Ramirez fought a fight. He was hungry. He was relentless. He was determined. And as you suggested, every time Ramirez threw uh, one punch or two punch or a three punch combination, Ramirez came back with an answer. He had an answer to everything. He came back with four or five punch combinations. And he just, the war of attrition, you know, through conditioning, his heart, and his work ethic there in the ring, and his will to win. He wanted that fight. You could see in the later rounds. He was fighting to win that title. You know, I, I knew Amir Aman, to his credit, is, is a guy that packs a punch. But oh, yeah. I knew that he was in for a long night. And I started thinking, you know, now we got to see what kind of conditioning Ramirez has. Because Amir Aman landed an uppercut. Early in that fight, I don't know if oh, it was the fr- yes. I don't know I don't know if I it was the first I don't know if it was wow. the first round or the second round, but it was early it was in that fight. Round, it was devastating. And it was such a flush uppercut. Perfect. Jose Ramirez's head snapped back. It was reminding me of uh, not quite as vicious because of the the power difference, but reminded me of when AJ uh, nailed Klitschko with an uppercut. And Ramirez didn't bat an eye. I mean, this guy just, and I was just like, oh, no, he said, I'm here. uh-oh. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's when, I don't know, maybe maybe Stacey McKinley was thinking, oh, well, let, let's not let the right hand go. Uh, let, let's let him think that that was it. I, I don't know. But uh, once again, I called it on Friday. I said that the equalizer in this fight uh, is the corners, and uh, Stacey McKinley is, is a curse, man. Whoever Whoever's working with this guy, uh, get away from him because uh, in the big fights he's gonna he's gonna fail you. And speaking of failing, you know I, I've been pretty negative on Freddie Roach, and here's why: when you look at Freddie Roach and you see where his success comes, he comes with guys that are offensive minded, fighters that move forward and let their hands go with reckless abandon at times. Even though, or let me let me rephrase that a controlled reckless abandon. And that's what Jose Ramirez did. And that is a good match for Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach is a good trainer when he gets fighters that fight like Jose Ramirez or Manny Pacquiao, etc., etc. He needs those kinds of guys. When you get other kinds of fighters that need more uh, of a trainer, more of a teacher, Freddie Roach isn't that guy. I mean, did you see that, uh, or am I off base there, brother? No, I think you're pretty close to target there, Bill. You know why? Because, you know, you often uh, wonder, like, the old chicken and the egg, or which came first. And, you know, uh, does a fighter bring out the best of a trainer, or does a trainer bring out the best of a fighter? It's a, it's a bilateral relationship. I mean, they work hand in hand. And when a trainer can connect psychologically and spiritually and, and, and really just, just try to you know, just um, uh, emotionally get into the fighter's head and psyche and know how to uh, help him uh, see where his assets are and negate what might not be helpful to him. It's it's a great relationship, and they have confidence in each other, and they get to know each other and who what they can could expect to deliver. So, yeah, that, 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 that goes hand in hand. Styles make fights, and trainers make styles. I like that. Let's use that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, sure. I, I just, uh, I, you know, I thought that uh, they they seem to be a good fit. Uh, Ramirez now a uh, a world champion, and in case uh, case y'all forgot, um, the reason why uh, the belt was even vacant was uh, because uh, Terence Crawford vacated the uh, the title. So, um, in any event, hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back. I got some uh, fight results from that card and some of the other big ones from the weekend. We got some news to talk about. We got some emails to read. All of that is coming up in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to Talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Speaking of being with us, don't forget, man, uh, the week of... uh, the Mexican holiday in uh, September. We'll give you the exact days uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be the uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday uh, of that weekend. We are doing our next uh, Billy C. Boxing event. Um, make sure you're there. Uh, it's going to be uh, three days of uh, fun in the sun on St. Simon's. We're going to have a golf tournament, a fishing tournament. We're going to have dinners at South. We're going to have a meet and greet. We're going to have a fight night. All this is going on, and we want you to be part of it. If you've never been part of one of our events, you're not going to want to miss this one because it's going to be the best. I might even have some memorabilia there. We'll have some special guests, uh, all of that stuff. I was talking to Marlon Starling, former champion this weekend, and uh, he's excited uh, about it as well. So uh, uh, make sure you uh, uh, make your plans now. Uh, But uh, anyway... We got uh, some other fights that took place on the undercard of Jose Ramirez and Amir Aman uh, for an interim uh, belt. Now, uh, the WBC, uh, that was the uh, junior welterweight uh, title that uh, Jose Ramirez uh, won, uh, the vacant title. Well, the WBC felt, and rightly so, that they need to start making some moves uh, because they hadn't required Adonis Stevenson, their light heavyweight world champion, who hasn't had a mandatory title defense since 2015, um, that they better do something. And they decided to have an interim title, uh, and that put up uh, Oleksandr uh, Gabadzik uh, against uh, Meteor Amira, uh, Amare, uh, Amar, I should say, I'm sorry. And uh, Gabadzik won uh, a unanimous decision, 117-111, 116-112, 118-110 was the way the judges scored it. Gavadzic improved to 15-0 with 12 knockouts. And Amar drops to 34-6-2 with 16 knockouts. Um, one thing that uh, I noticed in this fight, and you and I were talking about it a little bit before we came on air, Sal, was uh, how tough this guy was from France, uh, Medim uh, Amir. 
uh, uh, Amar, I'm sorry, was uh, was extremely tough, and it got me thinking. You know, uh, throughout the history of boxing, at least in my lifetime, plus prior, you know, the historical uh, aspect that I have been involved in o over the years, um, I can think of two great French fighters uh, in Georges uh, Carpentier and uh, also uh, uh, Marcel Serdan, and you agreed with me, but there's been a lot of tough guys just like uh, Medea Mir uh, from this weekend. You can't uh, discredit a, a. I mean, I wasn't given him any of a much of a chance, but yeah. he was there. He made. He did not make it an easy night for Gavadzik. What'd you think? No, I thought he was there. I thought he was in the fight. I thought he tried to offer some good offense, and he caught Gavadzik. I was going to kill his name, Gavadzik. Uh, a couple of opportunities there that he caught him with some good shots. But I'll tell you what. You know, I, I, I like these Ukrainian fighters. You look at them, they are so fundamentally sound. Uh, they do the basics exceptionally well. That's what I find in their style, their fight. And uh, I think that's what leads them to, to so much uh, success in the ring. Because they're, they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They do have a great style in that they do the basics of fighting exceptionally well on a lot of levels and uh, I can't say more about it and he showed it that night against Amir and uh, I think that Amir Amar put up a good fight he was in the fight he caught him with some good shots there were some opportunities for him that that weren't capitalized on but uh, I think that it was a good enough fight overall and a great uh, exhibition by this Ukrainian fighter um you know the broadcast that ESPN had it was billed as uh, Ramirez and, and Aman as the main event. The co-main yes. event was Gavadzik against uh, Amir Amar. I'm sorry, um, but the the fight that they put on last and they were billing it as a special attraction fight was uh, uh, the undefeated featherweight uh, Michael Conlon. Uh, he improved to six and zero with five knockouts when he took a uh, fifteen and two now fifteen and three David Berna. Um, <laughs> Basically, he carried. Uh, Berna was down, writhing in pain after at, at, in the first round. First round, um, and 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 there was no doubt that Conlon let off the hook, uh, yes. and then finished him at one minute of the second round. Um, I understand that it was St. Patty's Day, and Conlon obviously from <laughs> Ireland, and all this stuff. But did they really have to make that the real main event? I mean, that could have been. The first fight of the evening that could have even went between Gavadzik and Ramirez Aman. Um, you know, he 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 was in with a guy that looked great on paper, but obviously was no match. But the one thing I will say about Berna, I have never seen such a uh, disproportionate leg size on a guy in my life. It looked like they photoshopped another body on top of like some monsters legs this guy had the biggest strongest looking legs i've ever seen and maybe that's why uh michael conlon decided to work the body because he knew that if he landed at something solid on the chin with tree trunks like that sal it would have been hard to knock him down but i tell you he found a soft couple of spots in his body didn't he you got the eye for talent man i'll tell you i'll tell you well, you know, usually you, you see in the history of fighting, it's those guys with the tree trunk thighs and the legs that, uh, you know, can 
can deliver and execute a, a great punch with that torque in the trunk uh, and are powerful. But uh, uh, we'll never see that from uh, Burma. Burma. Well, at least we didn't see it because I'll tell you what. Conlon hit him with such, I think it was a left, such a left to the solar plexus, a body shot in the first round. That I, he, he dropped this guy so fast with that left to the body. I didn't think he was going to get up. And when he did get up and he made it to the second round, it was a short night for him, as you said. I mean, the referee said, this guy. And he kept asking the guy, after the first, uh, are you still able to fight? Do you want to continue? Do you want to continue? You know, this wasn't the, the 12th round after a bloody bed bloodbath. No, this guy just, you know, he but he wanted to continue. He just couldn't. And the referee stopped the fight, which uh, – was probably giving him mercy at uh, the second round. You know that that body shot was right down, right, right down there. the middle. I mean, I mean I that was that, that was fine. Yeah, that that was that was uh, that was a breadbasket shot if I've oh, ever seen. And and you know when you go when a fighter come, you know, and and Larry Hazard says it all the time. When a fighter comes back to the corner, and you're you're, you're the trainer, right? Yeah. Nobody has spent as much time with that fighter, hopefully, than you did. If you're the trainer, right, correct. You know, and that you know, you should know this fighter. And it's too often than not that we have these trainers <clears throat> and other cornermen that are awfully tough when it comes to their fighters fighting and not them. If you're a trainer and you actually care about your fighter, and you see him come back to the corner in the condition that David Berna came back after that first round. I mean, wincing in pain, couldn't breathe, and the instructions they're giving him is take deep breaths, take deep breaths. And the kid is like, yeah, every time I try to take a breath, the pain is killing me. I mean, you got to really think about sending a kid out there uh, for the second round. I mean, hey, credit to Conlon. He did it. He He's the one that inflicted the damage. But, uh, you know, come on, you know. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was one minute into the second round, too long for uh, for David Berna. But uh, congratulations to Colin. Uh, he improves to uh, six and zero with five knockouts. Uh, one other fight that I want to mention that was on that card: uh, Antonio Lazada improved to thirty nine and two with thirty three knockouts when he stopped Felix Verdejo, who was the big favorite in this fight. Uh, in the 10th round, 2 minutes and 37 seconds of the 10th wow. round, um, knocked him down, and uh, the referee waved it off. It was uh, when he got up, uh, he just got battered, and uh, the ref wa waved it off. Uh, Verdejo drops to 23-1, uh, and one, losing uh, the first fight of his career. Some other fights I wanted to uh, just mention real quickly. Um, in the super, middle, super middleweight division, Jamie uh, Magunya. Improved to 28-0 when he got a third-round knockout of Johnny Novetti, uh, who's a, generally a tough guy, usually goes uh, uh, goes rounds. Uh, it was a rematch between these two guys who fought uh, a little less than a year ago. Uh, Navaretti drops to a 33-10. We talked a little bit about this uh, fight uh, last week because uh, Donnie Palmer, a heavyweight, uh, that was nine one and one big guy six foot ten was talking all kinds of trash about fighting a two and zero heavyweight in England Joe Joyce and was saying yeah after I take care of Joe Joyce I'm going after Anthony Joshua and I was laughing because when <laughs> yeah, you looked at this right guy's now. yeah when you look at this guy's record 
I mean, there's nothing that suggests that he could uh, even be in the same breath of, of any of the, the top heavyweights. Well, uh, Joe Joyce uh, made what I was saying pretty true because uh, in less than a minute, in, in a little more than a half a minute, 38 seconds, uh, Joe Joyce uh, knocked out uh, Donnie Palmer. So uh, uh, that took place uh, in London uh, on Saturday. And also another fighter I want to mention uh, in the cruiserweight division, Mas- uh, Matty Askin. He improved to 24 wins, three losses, and a draw uh, when he uh, stopped uh, Stephen Simmons in the second round. Matty Askin's a, a tough guy. I've always enjoyed uh, watching him. Um, an old guy, no offense, Sal. Easy, not not easy. quite as old as you. I'm going to make another comeback, Bill. I for, swear, right now. Former, former IBF middleweight champ Sam Solomon uh, fought uh, Wes Caper. And uh, the fight went 12 rounds. Some belt was on the line. And it ended in a draw. The way the judges scored it, two had it uh, even, 114-114. The third one scored at 114-113 for Sam Solomon. Uh, who's a wild fighter. I didn't get to watch this fight, but uh, uh, it, it, it amazes me that it went 12 rounds. Um, you know, normally I would think a Sam Solomon, even though he's 44, uh, shouldn't have uh, went the distance with Wes Caper, but maybe this should be an indicator to Mr. Solomon that he should uh, <clears throat> move on to bigger and better things. Um, you know, Christian Mahares was a very exciting fighter to watch. And uh, he was a former uh, uh, world champion. Uh, he held belts for the WBC, WBA, and IBF. And um, he fought a fight in Mexico on Saturday, which he termed his uh, farewell fight. And he took on a pretty tough uh, Argentina fighter, uh, Fernando Sosito, uh, and uh, he won. He uh, stopped Sosito uh, at 2 minutes and uh, 20 seconds of the 8th round. His uh, If he really is over uh, his final career record, 59 wins, 8 losses, and 2 draws with 27 knockouts. Uh, Sosito drops to a 61, 8, and 3 with 10 knockouts. Sal, what's the odds that Mahare says, you know what, let me have one more fail, uh, farewell fight so I can get to an even 60 wins? What do you think? I think that's. Uh, I think Las Vegas would give that a favorable odd to occur. I, I, you know, it, it's hard, Bill. It's hard. Uh, you know, when you when you have these little personal goals, you, you're you're competing against yourself at times, and you set challenges and goals. Like we said, a fighter challenging himself is a great thing. A lot of things can evolve from that. And you know that 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 notch of a 60th win may just uh, creep into his mind over the years of over the months of just considering him being idle. So, you know what, we may see a return about probably uh, within six months to a year. Well, you never know. Uh, you never or, know. You or, never or, know. Or, I don't know. You know what? Then again, you know, maybe he felt he did all that he could do in a ring, and he is ready to go on to other things. So you don't know what the motivation may be. But, you know, that that, that one fight away from number 60 would be a little bit more of a carrot for me to bite on. To. I know. I know. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like, okay, may, maybe one more. Maybe one 59, more. 59. Yeah, 59, 59 is such an odd number. Know. I know. 59 is 59. I know. So when I know. you can hit 60, 60 wow, that's 60, a whole nother, that's 60 a whole nother sound, number. 60 sounds so much more, you know? It does. It, hey, listen. It when like you when, appeal. There's more. Just, but, you know, it's like when you go from 59 to 60, it seems a lot older all of a sudden, you know? But, uh... Anyway, um, Not there yet. 
some some fights uh, that took place in Japan on Sunday. Uh, Royoa Yamanaka improved to sixteen and two with uh, five knockouts when uh, uh, he stopped uh, Moises uh, Kalaros uh, when he uh, wasn't able to uh, come out uh, after the eighth round uh, in Kobe, Japan. That's where all the good uh, meat is. And on the undercard, um, Carlos Canizales improved to twenty and zero with a draw uh, when he and he also picked up the WBA uh, junior flyweight belt. Uh, when he beat uh, f- uh, previously unbeaten uh, Rea Konashi uh, in uh, in that fight. Uh, so uh, a couple of fights uh, out of Japan uh, that took place. Uh, now, Friday, we had some uh, fights. And, you know, I was afraid of this. Uh, and we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we came on. But uh, Roberto Arazi, uh, Ariaza, I, I don't know why I have such trouble with his name. Um, improved to 16 and 0 with 13 knockouts, picking up his 13 knockout, 13th knockout when he destroyed Hurricane Sammy Valentin in Tampa on Friday night. Valentin drops the second fight of his career. Both of his losses coming uh, uh, at vicious, uh, at, you know, by vicious knockouts. But 20 seconds is all it took uh, Arizia to. Uh, uh, to take care of Sammy Valentin. And, you know, we both had a chance to uh, to meet and, and talk with Sammy uh, prior to him turning pro. As a matter of fact, I, I had met with him and his parents uh, several times. And I, I, I will tell you this, Sal. What we have here with Sammy Valentin is an extreme... And, and, by the way, I got to call his uh, Florida Golden Gloves uh, uh, championship. We were all but, there for that. Um, he did. You know, the thing that I, I see about uh, Sammy Valentin is an extremely talented young fighter. But here's what happened. His parents, um, and I'm not blaming his parents. Let me rephrase that. The family had invested every penny that they had, time, uh, money, uh, everything, into Sammy Valentin's boxing career. And it came to a point when he was ready to turn pro that the most important aspect, I mean, the pops, uh, Papa Valentin uh, quit his job to, to be uh, with Sammy and, and all this stuff. And, you know, what it boiled down to for these guys was money. And they took it. They got it. They, uh, they turned down uh, some other offers uh, from other people, including yours truly, and uh, took a, a cash deal where they uh, got some uh, money to sign. And uh, for the most part... They did pretty well. They they, they uh, climbed the ladder pretty quickly, ten and zero. Um, but I think Friday night, Sal, showed that they made the incorrect decision. And the reason why I say this, and I'm not taking anything away from his talent, because no. Sammy Valentin clearly has the talent. But you can't jump from a slug to a uh, a, a top contender from one fight. And yeah. when you're kind of tied in with a guy that's just concerned about making money, um, it's hard to do that. And don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to make money in this sport. But uh, I think what we witnessed on Friday night was Sammy Valentin, the end result of making the wrong decision when he turned pro. Now, he's only 13-2, and two and he's still a young fighter. Uh, but my question is, where does he go from here, Sal? Should he... Should he look at this as a revamping of his career, or should he pick up where he left off and try to run with it? Because that's kind of what he did with this fight. He lost 
got knocked out in a, in a previous fight, won a couple of comeback fights, and then he was immediately in this one. Should he rethink things and, and kind of look at himself in the mirror and say, listen, I need to rebuild from the start, not just correct something and move forward? Where, where is Sammy Valentin right now, in your opinion? Right now, he is not in a good position, I will tell you this. First of all, he's coming off of two back-to-back -back knockout losses. And that uh, does a lot to your ego. And also, you know, you got to have a lot of questions over there and in that camp. And I think he's got to really, really uh, get, a, get a hold and a grip on, on some of his defensive skills, which he's capable of doing, but also... He's got to start all over to rebuild and re, 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 redo the whole uh, reboot, if you will, and to see. Give him a, give him a fight that's going to be challenging, but that he should come out to be victorious. You know, when you, John, and myself uh, went down to see uh, um, Sammy, and I know we, we tried to uh, see if we were going to get his contract and manage him, and we were all talking to him. We all had one-on-ones uh, and group things with him. He and his family, great family, lovely family, great story. You know, but afterwards, I, I, I pulled John aside. I said, John, I don't know if we if we get this guy. I don't know if he really is, is going to be the one to, to, to rise over a couple things. I, I mean, because I talked to Sammy, and I, I talked about a couple things that he's going to look forward to or whatever, and I, I just didn't see him engaging as much as what he, he, well, he, he, he thought of. And I saw the money that they were looking for uh, right off the bat. And uh, this wasn't an Olympic gold medalist who was like from the 76 or 80, 82 or Olympic team coming out and, and wanting to uh, uh, get a great fast track to the world title. So I knew he may have troubles. And, and sure enough, uh, into his career here, three years or so, it, it's it's starting to, to uh, surface. And uh, I wish him the best. And, uh, and uh, I hope he does recover. I hope he does because he is a talented fighter. But I think he's got to revamp and redo some things. Well, you know, the thing is, is every fighter, you know, when they when they have success on the amateur ranks, uh, in the amateur ranks, they they seem invincible. And likewise with his parents, you know, they, they love the kid and, and they're thinking very positive. So you may be blind to what is really out there. And I think that's what happened with uh, with the Valentin family. Um, you know, some money was thrown at them at a time of need. It, it's similar to what I opened up the well, show with, with yeah. Don King saying that he used to get these contracts with fighters for half the money because he would have a suitcase full of cash. And that's kind of what happened with Valentin. Um, but he does possess the talent. He is a good uh, fighter. But, you know, getting devastatingly knocked out uh, twice uh, in 15 fights uh, definitely yeah. could take a toll on a young fighter, especially a oh, fighter as young as, as Sammy. So, uh, like you, I wish him the best. Uh, so we'll see what happens uh, uh, as he moves forward. Uh, also, uh, a couple other fights I just want to mention. Uh, Antonio Orozco improved the 27-0 with 17 knockouts when he won an eight-round unanimous decision over Martin Hanaro, who drops to 33-13, uh, uh, took place in Los Angeles. Uh, all three judges scored it the same at 79-73. And uh, former uh, uh, world title challenger and currently ranked number nine by the WBC in the light heavyweight division, Isaac Chalimba, improved to 24 wins, five losses, and a couple of draws uh, when he uh, 
uh, uh, took care of uh, Blake Caporello, who drops to 28-3-1. and 115-113 one. uh, was the way two of the judges scored it, and the third had it 117-111. Uh, and that wraps up the uh, the bigger uh, fights from uh, from the weekend. Uh, a couple of uh, things of note. Uh, Francisco uh, Vargas is uh, going to be returning to the ring uh, on April 12th on ESPN. Vargas is uh, 24 uh, wins, one loss, and a couple of draws. He was a former uh, junior lightweight champion. Uh, he's taking on Rod Salika uh, in, uh, in a fight that uh, is going to headline uh, April 12th. So we'll see what happens uh, with him. And... Although the contract wasn't signed yet, it was uh, kind of already announced that your favorite fighter, Sal, Sergey Kovalev, uh, will be <laughs> taking on uh, Marcus Brown uh, sometime in the early summer. Uh, it may be as early as June 23rd, or uh, it could be in July. So they're saying that it's as soon as June 23rd, but it will not be later then the end of July. They do know that it will be taking place at uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Kovalev is 32 wins, two losses, and a draw. He's 34 years old now. Brown is a younger fighter. Uh, he's uh, uh, He's got a, a, an impressive uh, record. He's uh, only 27 years old. He's 21-0 with 16 knockouts. Um, but uh, he's never faced anybody like Kovalev. Even Kovalev at the state he is now... Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a smart move. I mean, once again, you have a young fighter yeah. who's on the way up and he's coddled all the way up to a ranking. And now you're going to put him in with, with Kovalev. His, he was a mandatory for uh, Artur Biterbeev, who's 12-0 and 0 with 12 knockouts. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know what is, is the better fight for Marcus Brown. It seems to me that they're looking for the money fight. He could probably make more money fighting Kovalev than he can uh, beat or beef. Uh, but what's your thoughts, man? Once again, we got a fighter, 21-0. and 0, But of those 21 fights, he really hasn't beaten anybody. Anyone, no one, no one is, is close to either beat or beef or, or a Kovalev. What, what's your thoughts? Bill, I'll tell you. Here's my thoughts, and uh, I've said it before here. You know, you, you have no idea as far as what I, I i've got to research this fighter i've got to see what he's capable of doing i want to look at his at his at his past fights and see what i can assess there sometimes you got a great package you got a great present ready to be unwrapped and you protect them you give them the 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 the, the fodder coming up and then you 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 test them you that's how you normally do it you'll test them with different styles with different uh opportunities to beat different types of fighters at different levels and if this wasn't the career path that they put this gentleman in, either they feel they got this, this special package that's going to step into the ring with a world-class, renowned, known uh, former world champion in Kovalev, and he's going to fall to pieces and be revealed and then and, and counted out. Or he's going to rise to the occasion and say, hey, this is me. I'm the real deal. And I got to where I am for certain reasons. And I'm going to show everybody this is what I can do. And he's going to be Kovalev. But for just what you've told me, and I, like I said, i got to research him, uh, I think Kovalev is just going to have a way of uh, rebuilding his two losses to uh, Andre Ward. And uh, they're going to try and leverage him back on top for another title fight. So I think this is going to be more fodder for Kovalev. You know, the funny thing is they're already trying to 
they're already trying to bill it as a, a tough fight for Kovalev because they're it's saying Kovalev hates southpaws, hates southpaws, can't do well against southpaws, yeah, right. can't do well. well. And they go, oh, ooh, ooh, Marcus Brown is a, is, is a southpaw. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the guy's never fought anybody uh, uh, very good, um, or uh, I shouldn't say that. He hasn't fought a, a world title uh, holder caliber fighter, so we'll see what happens. But uh, in any event, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, I got some emails to read. Uh, so, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where... Back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. Hey, don't forget if you uh, if you want us to have your show, if you want if you want us to have our show at your place, whether uh, you're involved with a casino or you own a gym or a fitness center or a sports bar or even a hotel, or even if you got a connection on a cruise ship, those are all the the targeted places that uh, would make sense to have us come and do our show live from your place. Uh, for uh, a week or at least three days, drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. We're looking to do uh, some kind of a tour where we can uh, put together a bunch of different places to do the show live out of. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing it. So if uh, you're the person that makes that decision, drop me an email. Let's get her done. I'd love to do that. Wouldn't you do like oh, it? Are you kidding me? I would love to do that. I definitely uh, could think of a quite a few venues that, that would provide a great environment for us to do a show out of and give good promotion to the uh, venue that we're at. Well, that's the name of the game. I mean, that's the two-way street part of it. You know, uh, uh, we would do the show, but... Uh, you know, we would be promoting the, the heck out of the uh, the venue. But uh, in any event, hey, speaking of promotion, don't forget, uh, if you want your comment or thought or shout out or whatever you want uh, heard live on this show and you're watching uh, in our YouTube uh, channel or on our YouTube channel, I should say, don't forget, uh, because of popular demand, we got the super chat available. So uh, throw in a super chat and I'll take care of you on this end. So, uh uh, it's available right now as we're watching the show. But uh, got some email, Sal, and uh, f- this first one is from uh, my man Willie. He says, uh, "He says, hey Billy C, after watching that fiasco between Joe Joyce and Donnie Big Pudding Palmer at the York Hall on Saturday, I'm thinking that David Hay might just as well hire a couple of grave robbers and start lining up dead corpses in front of Joyce." Uh, somebody jokingly commented in one of the YouTube chat rooms that uh, while Palmer was in London, he got a part-time job as a taxi driver and was the guy who actually drove David Hay and Joe Joyce to the fights, uh, which is uh, kind of funny. He says, also, just to rub it in a bit for uh, Deontay Wilder, 
Anthony Joshua and the Pope uh, got into the Pope with the Pope mobile and uh, drove around the streets of London, Sal, and somebody in the crowd shouted, hey, who's that standing next to AJ? <laughs> Which I think is kind of, <laughs> I think funny. It's kind I of funny. a joke like that coming up. Well, obviously, obviously it's a, it's a joke on uh, Deontay Wilder trying to uh, say that uh, he's got the same uh, uh, popularity as, uh, as AJ. And although I, we all know that uh, he wouldn't have the same popularity as AJ in England, the sad part, uh, and it's nothing uh, more than due to the lack of promotion of Deontay, I don't think he's uh, as popular here in the States as AJ is. What do you think? I don't know. You know, I'll tell you. I I think that uh, AJ, one of the reasons why he has said that he wants to fight in the United States, I think, you know, is to, to try to capture more fans from the U.S. I think he's got a lot of fans. Uh, predominantly, all of his fan base, a lot of his fan base, the majority of his fan base is right there in the U.K., um, Deontay Wilder, I think his last fight out, it was a big showcase. It was a tremendous victory for him. And I think, uh, whether you knew of Deontay Wilder before or not, I think he captured a lot of fans after that last fight. No, there's no doubt, but I, I, I don't know what you were saying, but the truth of the matter no. is, is that Anthony Joshua is more popular than Deontay Wilder. Oh, Whether yeah. it's the, in the heavyweight division, with right? The in heavyweight, for, but any, I mean, I think he's more popular than Deontay Wilder in the states. There's no question, and 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 think about why. The reason why is because we're dealing with boxing fans, and most boxing fans, it's it's global. Dax Khan had said it uh, on it's this global. show before. It's a global sport, especially today, uh, because of the global uh, accessibility. And because of it, uh, you know, AJ is, is more popular. Now, I agree with you 100% about Deontay Wilder's um, value uh, went up in the last fight. But the difference between the two and the reason why AJ is more popular is because he's more likable. And what I mean by that is, well, you know what? It, that could be a matter of opinion, you could say. But the, the numbers don't lie. The, the companies, the corporate alignment of, of companies, you know, uh, popular companies like Under Armour, for example, uh, you know, they reach out to Anthony Joshua to have him be uh, a spokesperson for their product or service. I don't think anybody would want to associate themselves with Deontay Wilder for the same reasons. It's like it's like Mayweather. Mayweather, you know, nobody drew more than him in terms of pay-per-view and everything else. Everybody knows who Floyd Mayweather is, whether you're a boxing fan or not. Everybody knows who he is. You know, so, I mean, he's a popular figure. I, I heard somebody refer to him. It was an interview. It wasn't even for boxing, and, and they, were, they were using him as an example uh, of... Uh, uh, of of having you know uh, being that well known but yet there's not one not one endorsement of Floyd Mayweather and that's the reason 
because he uh, is not uh, the greatest human being and, and companies would be afraid to align themselves with him in fear that something would happen, like he beats up a woman or a pimply-faced security guard or, you know, he's at the strip clubs, whatever. They don't want to align themselves with that. And that's a sh- that, costs, that costs people money. Now, Floyd doesn't need the money. He makes enough. But, you know, for Deontay Wilder, I'm sure that he wouldn't mind uh, throwing some extra money in his pocket, you know. And, uh, but because he was forced to promote himself in the manner in which he did, he may be helping himself right now position himself to make more money uh, against Anthony Joshua when they fight uh, because of that great performance against Luis Ortiz. Uh, but uh, but because of the lack of promotion from a promoter, it's actually costing him money from uh, endorsements. What, what do you think about that? I think you just hit it on the head. You know, you have two different camps, and Anthony Joshua's promotion has been uh, international, has been worldwide, has been showcasing, has been enticing, has been aligning, uh, and doing what promoters are supposed to do. Get Promote. their fighter's name in the living rooms. Get their fighter's name talked about on the streets. I mean, and that's why Anthony Joshua is, by that measure, a more popular fighter throughout the world. I think Deontay Wilder, uh, if he had had that similar kind of uh, uh, formula and promotional team, we'd be looking at two different pars here as well, or, do, or the similar Similar, but uh, you know, having yourself aligned with a company uh, and and an organization and a product, I mean, uh, it would be ideal. And I'm sorry that Anthony Joshua has been uh, gaining over uh, Deontay Wilder on that level alone because of the lack of promotion that Deontay Wilder has been able to have to provide or be provided and he's had to just be his own promoter by, by saying some outlandish things and getting the shock appeal to the fans and to people that are going to take notice. Well, we notice now, so let's see what we could do to get him aligned and, and, uh, and ready for some big things to come because he deserves it. He, he, he worked hard. Well, you know, they're talking about, uh, in some of the chat rooms, they're talking about potential uh, opponents. And the truth of the matter is, is I think where Deontay Wilder really succeeded, Sal, um, is that he has positioned himself right now yeah. with one win. And, and this is the remarkable part of it. And I know you like him and stuff, and I like him as a person, and he's grown on me, but, but here's the thing, and, and this is the God's honest truth. A guy, Deontay Wilder is 40-0 and 0, with 39 of his wins coming by knockout. And of those 40 fights, one has been against a good fighter, and that was his last fight against Luis Ortiz. People can criticize and say Luis Ortiz was 100, blah, blah, blah. But here's what it got Deontay. It got Deontay Wilder um, a pass to not fight anyone else unless his name is Anthony Joshua. And to me, that was the most valuable piece of whatever he picked up in that win. Forget about the money. Forget about the the, the accolades. Forget about the, the excitement. Forget about all those things. What he picked up was he made it obvious that the only fight for him is against Anthony Joshua. Uh, Anthony Joshua, on the other hand, doesn't have to say that. I mean, he could, uh, you know, pick somebody else and still make a ton of money. But as far as Deontay... 
if I'm Deontay, what I do now is I don't waste and take any chance against any other heavyweight. I don't care how weak they may seem. I focus on one fight, and that's against Anthony Joshua. What's your thoughts? Bill, I concur with you, pal. That's the playbook. That's the only fight that we need to see uh, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua take place. But wait, that, wait, that fight- wait. Like I said, AJ kind of could get away with another, you know, un- non-substantial fight because of his drawing power. But but Deontay has, should not do the same. That's my point. You know what I mean? No, I understand. But you know what? If If we have, and I'll tell you what, through his self-promoting, we'll have Deontay Wilder continually call out Anthony Joshua. And if Anthony Joshua doesn't answer and uh, postpones or takes another opponent, then you're going to see all kinds of things turn. And you're going to see Deontay Wilder calling him out saying, see, he's afraid to fight me. He's afraid to fight me. And fans are fickle. They'll now, uh, Anthony Joshua has his, his, his base and has his diehard fans. But fans are very fickle on a lot of levels because they want to see the best fighting the best. And that's why I'm saying right now, here and now, and I've said it in the past, the only fight after Anthony Joshua, if he does get past Parker, which is coming up very soon, then the only fight these two heavyweights need to do next would be to face each other in the ring before the end of this year. That's the only fight I want to see in the heavyweight division between two world champions, and I think that's how the fans feel. If I'm Deontay Wilder, and since I have to promote myself, because Lou DiBella doesn't promote anything, um, I take a different approach if I'm Deontay right now. I stop with the pounding on the chest. I stop telling everybody that I'm the best ever. I stop all that BS. What I do now is I look in the cameras when they're interviewing me, and I say, I'm the WBC World Heavyweight Champion. I want to fight Anthony Joshua. I am not fighting anyone else until Anthony Joshua steps in the ring with me. That's the way I would promote it. And I'll tell you why. That puts all the pressure on Anthony Joshua. He does not have to cry about money. He could do that behind the scenes. He does not have to demand certain amount of percentage. He could do that behind the scenes. He could do all of that professional business stuff behind the scenes. He doesn't have to bring that out into the public. But what he could do with the public to gain uh, more support is to just flat out and as a matter of factly say to anybody that will listen, my next fight is against Anthony Joshua. I don't care if the WBC strips me. I don't care if people call me a chicken. I don't care about nothing except fighting Anthony Joshua. I'm telling you, that approach will get that fight made faster than him pounding on his chest, saying that AJ's scared of him and this and that. And you know what? I have a funny feeling that there's already a deal in place. I have a funny feeling that these two guys, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder have already met. I think they've already respected each other. Uh, I I think there's a lot of things that were already done behind the scenes, and a good indicator is that Anthony Joshua, in his next fight against Joseph Parker, uh, one of the ringside analysts is going to be Deontay Wilder. I'm telling you, that's the approach to get this fight made ASAP, Sal. 
Well, I, I agree with you, and I think that that's the, the approach that they're going to take. That's a great plan out of your playbook, and it, it, I think it's going to come to fruition. And having Deontay Wilder ringside for this Anthony Joshua fight is just that, putting a little sugar on the dessert there. And uh, I, I think it's inevitable. Uh, you're going to see maybe some antics, or you're going to see some calling out. You're going to see some things happening with Deontay Wilder ringside. And if Anthony Joshua should beat Parker, which he, we hope he – well, which which he should do, but we'll see. Uh, you're going to see Deontay Wilder make that case and fight for that. And, and uh, hey, it's inevitable. They've see, got to meet. They've listen, got to meet. In but, the ring. but what I'm saying, Sal, is right now Deontay Wilder is the villain, right? I mean, he's playing the villain. Um, you know, he, he's playing the victim and the villain. In England, he's the villain. You know, in the U.S., he tries to be the victim. He pounds his chest. He jumps. Mom squat. You know, he does all of that stuff, right? But what he needs to do now is be a matter-of-factly. Become Deontay Wilder, the business guy. And I don't yes. mean yes. negotiate in public. I mean change your persona just for this fight. You know, it's obviously landed him where he is, but he doesn't need to keep it up. What he needs to do now is just a matter-of-factly I want Anthony Joshua. If he's ringside, he just looks at Anthony Joshua and says, you're next, man. You're you're the only guy I'm going to fight. There's nobody left for me to fight. I know people saying, oh, he's got to fight Dillian White. Oh, he's got to fight nah, this. Yeah, well, no, he doesn't. No, he Come doesn't. It's too, yeah, but it's too risky. It's too risky for Deontay. Deontay Wilder doesn't want to get in the ring. with. Uh, listen, the biggest risk he's taken in his whole career was in his last fight. He doesn't need to take any more risk. He needs to fight AJ next, and he needs to to somehow put that pressure on AJ by calling him out, saying that he wants to fight, saying that it isn't being the pounding on his chest kind of guy. That's not really putting pressure on AJ. That's kind of making it comical. That's making it WWE-ish. What, what Deontay needs to do now is be the pro, be the guy who says, this fight's inevitable. Our two, our two paths are crossing right now. You're next, AJ. You're next. That's it. That's it. Exactly. And then get the Hold deal done. A, yeah, yeah. Hold a pen up in hand. Yeah, down. great. I'm ready to sign. Exactly. Let's get those contracts together because I'm ready to sign, and we got to get in the ring. That's can't be it. about the can't be about the money no. because no. Eddie Hearn has already said that they'll put a two fight deal together. So yes. what that means is accept the money for the first fight. And you and in the stipulation for the second fight, depending upon who wins, would be the cash out for both fighters. They both would make more money in the second fight. Deontay is foolish to to hold out and demand more. Right now, in my opinion, he's earned a 60-40 split without batting an eye. 50-50 was never going to happen, you know. But but prior to the Luis Ortiz fight. It was a, you know, you could have made the argument for, for Anthony Joshua that, you know, he was going to offer uh, 70-30 and, and be happy or, or go away. You know, now it's at least 60-40. But like I've always said too, Sal, 60-40 of what? You know, the, 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 the part that makes me laugh is I've heard Deontay Wilder say several times, we've made an offer. No, you haven't made an offer. See, this is, this is where the stupidity comes in. No one has made an offer to Anthony Joshua to fight Deontay in the United States. No one has made an offer to do that. They have counter 
offered. Somebody says, hey, I'll, I'll pay you X amount, and they say, no, we'll take this much. But that's still Anthony Joshua's side paying for the promotion, performing the promotion, et cetera, et cetera. Deontay does not have that power anywhere. Forget the United States. He doesn't have that power anyway. So at this point, he's got to turn the tables. If I was working with Deontay Wilder, I would say this is how you start to change your persona. You start looking at AJ. You start taking every interview, everything that you can get, and you be as matter-of-factly as possible. My next fight is against Anthony Joshua. That's it. I'm not fighting anyone else. I don't care if the WBC strips me. I don't care if people don't watch me. I don't care if everybody walks away. My next fight is Anthony Joshua. He has to fight me. End of story. That's what I would do, Sal. Bill, I, I I have to agree with you. That's the only fight that a lot of people want to see in the heavyweight division, number one. Number two, that is the stance that uh, Deontay Wilder should actually take and have a pen in hand. And you know what? Don't be surprised if they settle on a 55-45 split. But uh, the 60-40 is certainly more than what uh, Deontay Wilder was going to be offered uh, uh, prior to his victory over Ortiz. But uh, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's got to be. And I, I like the diplomatic way. I like the diplomacy you're, you're suggesting, being involved and incorporated. And I think all, all Deontay Wilder has to do is have that uh, canned response. Hey, I'm fighting Anthony Joshua next. I got my pen in hand. We're just waiting for the contract. And uh, you'll see. It'll come to fruition. Fruition. I, I think I think it'll do that this year. You know. You know what else, Sal. Another thing that I might want to do if I'm Deontay Wilder's management, I think I might want to forget the percentage split. Everybody's so stuck on that percentage split, and you know how that goes. That could be that could be finagled and stuff. If I'm finagled, it it could. If I'm Deontay Wilder, maybe maybe my approach now is a is a guaranteed purse. I want X amount of money. End of story. I don't care what you make on top of that. I don't care who gets this. I don't care who gets that. I want X amount of money. And and uh, take that approach. Because now you're kind of guaranteed. Now you don't have to worry that numbers were fudged or something like that. And, uh, and, and you, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, may, may I, to, to tell you the truth, I, I, I think that, and I know this is way more than he's ever made, but I think that Deontay Wilder, should be guaranteed $10 million to fight Anthony Joshua. I, I really believe that, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder should, should get $10 million and be happy with $10 million. But, you know, if he's in a position to make more with a percentage split, uh, so be it. But if, if I'm uh, Deontay Wilder, I, I take uh, uh, $10 million or a split, whichever is higher. I, I don't know. I would take I – would, I would, if it were me, I would try to negotiate a guaranteed purse – rather than a purse that could be fudged. What do you think? No, I mean, I think definitely. I mean, Anthony Joshua usually earns more than $20 million a fight out there in Wembley. But uh, I'll tell you what, over the U.K., I think that uh, Deontay Wilder definitely can call for a minimum guarantee of $10 million. And uh, that'll be the purse of his lifetime. And with the with the rematch clause in that contract, Man, I'll tell you what. That's these guys could have a two-fight deal that'll give them more money than they ever could have imagined. And that's just a, the the smart move about that for Deontay is he's got two more fights left in his life. 
I mean, you look at it. You can cash out after right. your second fight. Right. If he gets $10 million, and if he shakes the world and rocks the world, and he beats Anthony Joshua, then you're going to see him in a driver's seat, and it's, it's either going to have to be a 50-50, or maybe it'll turn, tides will turn. And uh, you will see. Uh, uh, but these guys will be set after two fights, and they could either continue, which I think Deontay Wilder would, uh, especially if he wins, because he's going to probably look to achieve the, the uh, record that Larry Holmes almost beat with, against Rocky Marciano, where it is substantial and is significant in heavyweight division in the world to, to reach the number 50th win without a loss. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, that's what I would do if I'm Deontay, but uh, Absolutely. we'll see what I happens. I think you should write him a letter. I got Call one more... Out. I got one more email. This was from my man, Rick. Rick. He says, uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal. He says, I was watching some old Bernard Hopkins fights, and it got me wondering why guys who are known for headbutting never suffer the cuts themselves. Guys like B-Hop, Timothy Bradley, Evander Holyfield are the best examples I can think of right now. Uh, he says they always uh, lead with their heads, and they inflict a lot of damage on their opponents, but not to themselves. Um it's a good observation, and it, it does seem to happen more often than not, Sal. Uh, how do you explain a, a fighter who leads with their head who seems to inflict, you know, headbutt damage to an opponent but doesn't sustain it themselves? Well, I'll tell you what. I was a... I was uh, known for my headbutts, but usually I was a recipient, and I had more cuts than I could. If I lose my hair, Billy, you could play tic-tac-toe on top of my head because you'll see so many scars. Uh, the bottom line is I do not have an answer for that. You know, sometimes uh, a, f a fighter's head uh, is just uh, the skin uh, – whether it's tight, loose, it just uh, it, it just some heads are built uh, to endure more more pain and more sharp blows. And you know, head butters. Uh, I'll tell you, it's tough. It's tough to uh, make the living that way. But uh, you got to watch out because I'll tell you, nothing hurts more than uh, getting a, a skull pounded into your cheek or your head or your butt. It's like two rams uh, in the middle of a, of a of the ring bouncing off each other's head. It's it's, uh, it's tough. I think uh, I think if if a fighter is moving forward, um, and and they clash, I think that that's more the odds are in their favor that they will inflict damage. Now a lot of times you'll see two guys moving forward at the same time, like you suggested, description you made, like you know two Rams, Rams uh, smashing their heads together. Then it's a 50-50 shot. So I, I don't is. know, but it is interesting. It's a great point from my man Rick. But uh, anyway. Hey, on this day in boxing history, March 19th in 1972, Rafael Herrera uh, knocks out Ruben Olivares. A couple of big names there, huh? In the eighth round to win the world Bantamweight title, and that took place in Mexico City on this day in 1972. On this day in 2007, Takafumi Sakata knocks out Lorenzo Parra in the third round to win the WBA World Flyweight title, and that took place in Tokyo. And on this day, March 19th in 1989, Yul Wu Lee knocks out Jermaine Torres in the ninth round to win the WBC World Junior Flyweight title, and that took place in Thailand uh, on this day in 1989. So we got a busy week coming up, um, and uh, I hope that uh, everybody uh, sticks with us uh, this week. Uh, we are trying to... Uh, 
make some changes here. Uh, we will uh, be introducing uh, another new segment uh, over the next uh, uh, several weeks. So we hope you guys are uh, in for that. Now, as you know, this week, our blast from the past, we gave you that we told you last week uh, we had a uh, request for a blast from the past on Bob Arum. Well, this week, the request was Don King. And how fitting was that, especially after that? Really, uh, it was a fantastic uh, interview uh, on uh, on ESPN with uh, both uh, Don King and uh, uh, Bob Arum. The worst part about it was that stupid Mark Kriegel. I mean, I, I can't stand him. I, I think yeah. that, you know, he's trying to copy Larry Merchant. Doesn't this guy have his own personality? I mean, why is he trying to, you know, and he's trying to replace a guy that's been a fixture on ESPN for all those years in Teddy Atlas. I think ESPN has made a, a, a really bad mistake. I do like Timothy Bradley. I will tell you. You know what I like about Timothy Bradley, Sal? He What's tells that? you the truth. He tells you the truth as, oh, yeah. a, as a fighter. Uh, he, there was a there was something that took place, and he went, oh, man, that hurt. That hurt. Oh, man, you go back to your, your corner, and it hurts. It hurts. You know, uh, oh, he's talking about the uh, uh, Gavadzik fight. He says, uh, that eye is swelling up. He says, let me tell you, that hurts. You're going back to your corner. He says, every time you're getting hit with in that spot, it hurts. And a lot of times you don't hear fighters admit that they succumb to pain or, or something like that. And I, and I thought it was uh, uh, enlightening that Timothy Bradley was so honest. And, and his, uh, uh, you know, commentary status uh, kind of went up a few notches, at least in my opinion. Uh, uh, Joe Tessitore is always good. Uh, Bernardo, Bernardo Wilsuna, it drives me insane. And this guy, uh, this new guy, Mark Kriegel or whatever his name is, uh, I just it doesn't fit for me. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, or you, or you want to well, stay away from I, it? Well, I, uh, my observation, I, I do miss Teddy Atlas on ESPN. I thought he brought something to the table. I do like Timothy Bradley, uh, but I'll tell you what, any cut or any swollen eye I ever had, it, 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 you're insensitive to your own pain. You don't even feel it. The only time you, I, I felt it. When I went back to the corner, they put that end swell on the Yeah, that's what he's saying. They're doing more damage to. How about how about the doctor? <laughs> how about how about how about you swell. you 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 got a cut and your cut man puts puts the adrenaline whatever in it and yeah. he's got it all patched up and then they go time and the doctor goes over and starts stretching it ripping it all apart. Okay, he's good. Oh Jesus, doc, now I'm bleeding worse than when I left. You know, but uh, uh anyway, hey, listen, boys and girls, make sure. You tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.